Hey, good morning and welcome to the broadcast of Faith Mountain Ministries. My name is Bill Vanderbush. Glad you joined us today. I was sitting in an airport today. I found a quiet corner of the Atlanta airport. That's a rare thing to find. And we're on our way to Santa Fe, New Mexico for the last ministry trip of the year. So if you happen to be anywhere near Santa Fe, join us at El Dorado Community Church on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. And uh, looking forward to being there with uh, some dear friends and and just enjoying uh, the city. A city actually my grandfather lived and worked and pastored in many, many years ago. So we're going to enjoy some Santa Fe sunrises for the weekend and uh, finish out the ministry year with this trip. And listen, if you would like to book us in for next year, the calendar is already filling up. And so you can do that by going to our website, BillVanderbush.com, and go to the booking form and uh, and just fill in all the blanks. And uh, we'll get back to you as soon as we can. So uh, I thank you so much for taking the time to be with us in the broadcast today. This uh, particular message is from a conference that was called the Restored Conference in Mount Vernon, Ohio. And it's on uh, the rod of authority and the mantle of anointing. Hope you enjoy it. You find some people and get together with them. Build your own community. And then you go, oh, I want to take that community in. And, and, and I feel like God's speaking something to us. He's stirring something in us. We laid down fa- I don't know why I'm going into this tonight, but let's just do this. We laid down fasting and 24-7 prayer years ago because that was like religious ritual. But for whatever reason, in our little group of six or seven, God is speaking to us to do a 24-hour prayer gathering. And we've been asking around the church and nobody else seems to be hearing. We must be the only ones hearing from God. Next thing you know, you break off and you start your own group because nobody else is hearing what you're hearing. Well, maybe God's only speaking to the six of you. Oh, yeah, it's about to get better, too. <laughs> when Jesus resurrects from the dead, he appears to over 500 people. Yet he gave, 100, he gave all these people an invitation. Go to Jerusalem and tarry until you're filled with power on high. Out of that 500, 100 and, 100, what, 120 gather for 10 days in an upper room until the Holy Spirit falls upon them. When the Holy Spirit falls on that 120, one out of five essentially shows up to the meeting. Where are the other, where the, where are the other 400? Maybe they had work. Maybe they had kids. Maybe they had responsibilities. Maybe they had things that they had to do that were obligations in their life. And to honor those obligations, they couldn't, they couldn't just drop everything and do it. So on behalf of all of them, 120 go. And that 120 paid a price for something that became the inheritance of all of us. And God will actually speak to a few people within a body. And I think he's been doing this for a long, a long time and we haven't recognized it. Rather than speak to an entire body a particular direction... He'll grab a few, and he'll stir in their hearts. And now that few have a crossroads moment. Do I split off because we're the only ones hearing from God and start something new and just declare Ichabod over our former church? Or do I begin to recognize, wait a minute, God is speaking something to us that if we are willing to pay a price, will become the inheritance of this entire house. And when you are willing to pay a price for something that everybody else gets for free, then... As a body, you are positioned and poised to steward and carry revival. Can I say that again? When you are willing to pay a price, few are willing to pay a price for something that everyone else gets for free, then you're positioned to steward and sustain 
a revival-based move of the Spirit of God in your community. God's restoring a lot of things to the body. Yeah. He's restoring this revelation, what it means to be the church. I'm just giving you a hint on this tonight. So I'm going to talk about two things that I think are necessary in order for this to come about. In order to do that, we've got to go to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, we're going to find two different characters who carried two different actual physical objects. And these two physical objects represented two specific measures of power or means of power that God used to move through people. The first one I want to talk about is a guy named Moses. Moses couldn't even talk. guy stuttered so bad that he wasn't even able to speak well. And so God had to give this guy a spokesperson named Aaron. And he gave Moses a rod. And this rod, just a stick, represented the authority of heaven. But I say the word authority. It represented the power of God. This is a power move. This is the authority of heaven. And for Moses to use his rod, all he had to do was listen for the word of the Lord. And when he heard the word of the Lord, he'd do something. For example, he's in Pharaoh's court. And, of course, Moses gets the credit because he's the leader, yet it's Aaron that's doing the talking. And God says to Moses, I want you to take your rod, and we're going to demonstrate some authority to Pharaoh. So throw it down. And he throws it down, and it becomes a snake. And Pharaoh's magicians throw their rods down, and it becomes a snake as well. And when it does, he's all happy because, hey, my magician can do the same until Moses' rod eats the snakes of the Egyptian magicians and then Moses reaches down and grabs it by the tail and it's a rod all over again. It's authority. And in order to exercise it, he had to hear a word from God. When he gets to the Red Sea and he's standing before the Red Sea, God says, stretch out the rod. He stretches out the rod over the Red Sea. The Red Sea parts and everybody walks across on the other side. Moses gets so enamored with the power that's in this rod that when God tells him to speak to a rock one day, because he's trying to talk about the power of the word, he's trying to take Moses from having dependence upon the stick to having dependence upon his voice, and he tells Moses, speak to the rock. Moses doesn't speak to the rock. What does he do? He takes the rod and smacks the rock with it, and enough water comes out of there to, to feed the thirst of over a million people. There's some, there's some power in this rod of authority that Moses carries. It's an amazing thing that Moses has. There's another character in the Bible in the Old Testament. It's a guy named Elijah. And Elijah carried not a rod, but he carried a mantle. A mantle of anointing. Now, this is just a scarf, and I don't think I, I don't really have any conscious awareness that I carry any kind of mantle of anointing. However, years ago, I was in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And I finished up a session, and I had a scarf around my neck because it was cold. And, uh, and at the end of the session, there's all these people that wanted to talk and visit and, and pray and have impartations and all that stuff. And I love doing that, but I was late to catching a plane. And the guy who was driving me to the airport says, we got to go now. And I said, all right, all right, fine, fine, we'll go. So I'm walking past all these people and saying, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I've got to run, I've got to catch a plane. And the kid at the end of the line, he'd been standing there for over an hour, and he'd been waiting so, so patiently. And I felt so bad for him. And he looked like he was understanding. But at the same time, my heart just broke for this kid. And I took my scarf off. And I just put it over his neck. And I just walked on by. And he hollers after me and goes, What mantle is this? <laughs> like, it's a scarf. 
it's, it's like Johnston and Murphy. I don't know what. What do you? What do you? Mantle, and I I couldn't come up with anything quick. I'm not as quick as Jim Baker, and so I was like, "Ask the Holy Spirit; He'll tell you." And then I just looked at the driver and went, "Let's go! Let's go! Let's just get out of here." You know, there's crazy people at these conferences sometimes, right? Not you. So. <clears throat> A year later, I'm doing a conference in Detroit, and this lady comes up to me and says, you don't know me, but you met my grandson last year in Kalamazoo, Michigan. I was like, really? Uh, okay. She says, you gave him a scarf. Yeah, I did. She said, well, I got to tell you what happened. He took that scarf to school, and he started putting it on kids in his, in his school who were sick, and they started getting healed. And he's ignited a revival in his school, and people are coming to Jesus. Yeah, right? Isn't that awesome? I'd like to say that was my response. You know, the first thing that came to my mind, i got to repent. All right, it's public repentance. The first thing that came to my mind, I want that scarf back. <laughs> a $20 piece of cloth is bringing revival? The only thing it ever did for me was keep my neck warm, and it didn't even do that well. <laughs> well that scarf. Like, oh, bless him. That's great. Tell him that's awesome. I'm so glad for him. Something to this thing of mantles. <laughs> Freaky. Elijah, his mantle carries power too. He walks up to an entirely different body of water. He's been followed around, by the way, by Elisha. <clears throat> and Elisha gets the sense that Elijah's about to leave. And Elijah, why only Elijah out of all of the members of the school of the prophets, why only Elisha does this? But he wants what Elijah's got. What does he want? He wants this. He wants the anointing. That's what the mantle represents. Moses' rod represents authority. Elijah's mantle represented the anointing, the smeared oil of heaven. The kind of the moment that the prophets got that oil poured over their head and they carried this mantle of anointing, whether it was a physical mantle or not. We know that Elijah actually had one. And Elijah comes to a river he actually tries to ditch Elisha four different times, drop him off in four different cities, and Elisha will not leave. Surely as the Lord lives, he says, I'm not leaving your side. Fine, says Elijah. He comes up to the Jordan River. Bam, he hits the water, and the water parts. And they walk across to the other side. <laughs> yeah, I want that mantle. Seriously. So Elisha goes to the other side with Elijah. And he asks a huge request. He says, I want double of what you've got. And you can't give away what you don't have. Otherwise, we'd be like going over to people and going, ah, double the anointing. Ah, double it again. Where does it end? Come on, you know. You can't do that unless God says you can. And in this moment, apparently, the Lord says to Elijah, I'll give him what he asks for. But now there's a test he's got to pass. And the test Elisha's got to pass is, if you see me when I'm taken, then you can have what you've asked. Well, that's all Elisha needs. That's easy. I'm watching you. And suddenly, off in the distance, through the clouds, 
comes a flaming chariot, flaming horses. And it goes right between the two of them. And Elisha points it out, out of the corner of his eye, without taking his eyes off Elijah. He says, look, look, oh my goodness, flaming chariot, chariot of God, and its horsemen. And it splits the two of them, right between the two of them. This is not a satanic manifestation. This is from God. He's testing Elisha to see whether or not Elisha can keep from being distracted by the supernatural activity of heaven while he's supposed to be keeping his eyes focused on one thing. One thing. Nothing wrong with the supernatural activity of heaven. But when you start worshiping it, Hey, listen, in our church back home in Austin, we had the wildest manifestations of the Holy Spirit I've ever seen in my life. And we had no idea how to control it. We weren't trying to control it. It would just happen. Uh, feather clouds, like somebody busted open a pillow and they'd be swirling around in the air. And we'd all, it stopped the whole service. And people would start snapping pictures and video. There's YouTube Videos, if you look up Austin, Texas, Cathedral of Praise, feathers. Feather clouds swirling in the air in the middle of a service, just all over the place. And at the end of the service, you couldn't find a single one on the floor. People would say, well, you put, it, you put feathers in front of a fan or something. Well, yeah, but you couldn't find any on the floor. When the white feather clouds got common, colored ones show up, red ones, blue ones. It was weird. Like, what is that? I have no idea. We're just worshiping God. And that's what we would tell people. We're focused in on the worship. He's showing up, and he's just manifesting heaven here in the room. We're just not going to be distracted by it. And you could tell the visitors, because they were like, you know, click, 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 click on everything. Gold, gold dust everywhere, all over whole sections of chairs. It'd show up, you'd see it, people snapping pictures, and then it would disappear and be over here. Whole sections of chairs covered in this like golden sheen, like specks and flecks of dust everywhere. And then the service would be done and it would be gone. People would say, Well, that's glitter. And we'd say, Yeah, I don't think so. Glitter never goes away. Glit- glitter, glitter, is like, glitter is like the herpes of craft supplies. It just, once it's there, it's there forever, you know? I can't believe I said that out loud. If my wife was here, she'd be like, some things you just only think, all right? You don't say everything you think. (laughs) I didn't know what to do with that stuff. It was bizarre. Here's a funny thing that happened, though. It started attracting ridiculous attention to the church, and people started coming out like in droves to see the, the magic show. We weren't doing it. It was just happening in the midst of worship. Amazing things taking place. Jules, a lady found a 1.2 carat diamond laying out on the floor. Nobody ever claimed that she went out and put it in a ring and sold it off and paid some debt. And crazy stuff like that. Couldn't figure out what in the world was going on. Until pretty soon we started focusing on that. And the church became known as the crazy church filled with manifestations. And all of a sudden one day, boom, shut down. It all went away. I began to realize when we start focusing more on the manifestations of the Spirit than the Spirit Himself, 
He'll pull the manifestations to see whether or not you test whether he's there by his presence and presence alone or the manifestations that he brings. In other words, can you perceive that he's there even when nothing is happening that's supernatural? Get it? Yeah. Elisha, eyes on Elijah. And it's crazy. It's almost cruel of God. All right, he's got to keep his eyes on the prophet. Mm -hmm. Light up some horses and send them down. (laughs) Flaming horses and a chariot. That's just mean. Come on. Too much. Too much. But Elisha, eyes on Elijah. And the chariot goes off. We think that Elijah was taken up in a chariot of fire. He wasn't. He was taken up, the Bible says, in a whirlwind. And as Elijah goes up, he lets the mantle drop. And Elisha grabs that mantle. And when he does, he walks back over to the river, back to the Jordan, and goes, where is the God of Elijah? Bam! Water parts. He goes to the other side. And all the prophets that were standing on the other side of the river look over and go, whoa. He got it. And true to form, Elisha has twice as many miracles recorded in the Bible as Elijah. He got the double portion anointing. Here's the sad part about Elisha's story. Elijah had a successor that put a demand on what he carried, and so that mantle went from generation to generation. We don't read anywhere that Elisha ever gave his mantle away to anybody. So the anointing on that prophet's life was so thick that when he died and was put in a grave in the ground. One day there's some soldiers coming along. They had a member of their party that had died and they threw him in on that, in that grave. And that dead soldier hits the bones of Elisha and pops back up out of the grave. I, I don't know. Did he go back to war? Did he continue to join the army? Or was he like, dude, I already died. I got my purple heart. I'm out. I'm going home. I don't know. I don't, I'm All I know is Elisha had so much power locked up in him that he was raising the dead when he was dead. Under the old covenant. So how hard can it be under the new? (laughs) Just wonder, who's picking up that mantle of anointing? Each one of them stretched the rod, stretched the mantle out over a body of water. The body of water represented an obstacle to the will of God. And that's what it represents, an obstacle to the will of God. You don't know whether you carry anointing or authority until you aim it at a problem. That's what it's for. You say, Bill, that's Old Covenant, that's Old Testament. And that brings us to Mark chapter 9 and verse 1. And Jesus is having a conversation with the disciples. And as he's having this conversation, there's a phrase that comes up. And he looks at him. He's talking about the kingdom of God. He's been going on and on talking to people about the kingdom of God. The kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is near you. The kingdom is within you. The kingdom's in your midst as you gather. The kingdom is together with you. It's in you. It's It's the message. The message of the kingdom was the thing that Jesus preached. And he's gathering with the disciples, and he says this very cryptic phrase. It's almost as if he looks over his shoulder at the end of the talk, and he says, I tell you the truth. There's some of you here, some of you standing here right now, who will not taste death before you see the kingdom come in power. Hmm. 
We think that that's like the end times, the last days, or you know, when Jesus comes back. And certainly when he comes back, the manifestation of the kingdom will be completely without any, any, any obstacles to the fullness of, 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 of knowing and being conscious of it. I get that, and that's true, and it's important. But you've got to understand the context of what comes after that. Because the story that comes right after that in three different Gospels, we'll just focus on Mark's, is that just a few days later, Jesus calls Peter, James, and John and takes them up to the mountain. What has he just said is about to happen? They're going to see the kingdom of God come in power. What is the gospel? The gospel of the kingdom. And now he's about to show them something about the kingdom, something that is to be restored to the body of Christ. And, and, and he, he takes them to a mountain. And then for some stupid reason, these guys all decide to take a nap. Private time with Jesus at the top of a mountain and it's nap time. And they wake up. And when they wake up, Jesus is standing there, but he's not alone. See who he's got with him? He's got Moses and he's got Elijah. Moses, the father of law, who carried a rod of anointing. And Elijah, the father of the prophets, who a rod of authority. Elijah, the father of the prophets, who carried a mantle of anointing. And what is he talking to them about? What's about to happen at the cross? Luke's gospel tells us that when he's talking to these guys, he's speaking to them about the things that are about to happen at the cross. This is a, this is a meeting of the old converging with the new covenant. And what is he doing? I believe in this moment, he is unveiling what the kingdom is about. The gospel of the kingdom. You are kingdom people. We heard this afternoon. You are the kingdom of God. Which means, in order for us to manifest the reality of that, it means you have to realize that in the spirit, kingdom people, you have a rod of authority. And you have a mantle of anointing. That rod of authority responds to the word of God's obedience and surrender to the word of the Lord. That mantle of anointing responds to the spirit of God, the gentle nudges of the wind of the spirit. In other words, you got to be a balanced person who has regard for the word of the Lord, but also the presence that moves the spirit like wind that fills the sails on a boat. You understand what I'm saying here today? It's God restoring to all of us, not just a portion of the kingdom, but the fullness and the totality of it. So in the new covenant, you carry authority and anointing together. Well, that's for special people, holy people, people who are, no, come on. In Luke 9, 1 and Matthew 10, 1, Jesus said, I give you, and he's talking to a group of people who are actually not even qualified to carry what he's about to give them. I give you power and authority over demons, over sickness, over disease, to cast it out. Do you understand that when he gave Authority and power, anointing and power and authority to these people. These people didn't even believe yet. He hasn't gone to the cross. He hasn't shed his blood. By our modern evangelical definition, these people aren't even saved for crying out loud. And they don't even know he's the Christ and the Son of God. They don't even know what to believe in yet. You understand what I'm saying? That Jesus unleashed the anointing and the authority of heaven over unbelievers. 
So you think, you, listen, you think you've got to have some special anointing? You've got to have some special grace upon your life to walk in power? You don't. Even unbelievers under the old covenant could carry power and authority. What excuse do we have in union with the Holy Spirit under the new and better covenant? There's absolutely no excuse for us to walk a powerless existence. Paul understood that. Peter understood that. And Jesus, at the end of his ministry in John 16, 33, says, I'm speaking over you so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. That sounds nice, doesn't it? Doesn't make any sense. Why? Because of the time tenses. In this world, you will have trouble. That's future tense. I'm looking into the future, and he says, in this world, you will have obstacles, trouble. You're going to face a Red Sea. You're going to face a Jordan River. Be of good cheer. I have. Wait a minute. That's past tense. Already overcome the world. What is he saying? He's saying, guys, understand. I'm not eliminating all the problems out of your life. I'm equipping you to walk through them in power. In other words, you're never going to encounter an obstacle that I haven't already equipped you to overcome. In this world, you will have trouble. Be a good cheer. I have overcome the world. In other words, I've already been in your future, and I've seen everything that's coming, and I've already equipped you with everything necessary to walk into your future with enough power and, and, and authority and anointing and spirit to be able to overcome every obstacle to my will in your life so that you never enter into a battle without the full assurance that you have everything to accomplish the victory. I loved what Britt said today when she talked about the, 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 the armor of God and how when you get shot, when you're wearing a bulletproof vest, it still feels like you're getting shot. And we think that the armor of God insulates us from every problem. It's just like stand there and just take all the arrows. They just bounce off you all day long. Sure, attacks still hurt, but the armor preserves your life. That may be one of the most powerful messages I've heard. So, so, so good. Doesn't mean that the obstacles aren't going to be difficult, but it means that you don't enter into any battle that you're not fully equipped to win. What God is restoring to the church is this message of the kingdom, the revelation of the kingdom of God, the fullness of the fact that God has stepped into our story. He's walking through the valley of the shadow, as Jeremy talked about. He's stepping into our pain, as Lacey talked about. He, he's he equipped us with everything necessary to overcome every attack of the enemy, even though it might be painful, like Britt talked about. And, and, as, and as Chuck went through, we're made in the image and likeness of, of this amazing and good God who restored us to that image and likeness on the cross. Everything that we thought we lost has been restored on the cross. He restored you to his original intent. He's brought you back to the place where you can stand completely before him, filled with power and authority, and to be the glory that covers the earth because you are the kingdom and you are filled with authority and filled with anointing. It is who you are. <coughs> and the more we come into an awareness of that, the more sin will lose its ability to lie to you. The more the devil will lose his voice in your ear. 
And the more you'll walk putting the glory of God on display. Ephesians 3.20 says now, To him who's able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all you could ask or think, according to the power at work in you, to him be glory in the church. What is the glory of God? The glory of God is first, one of the first places it's seen is over in, in uh, uh, Exodus. It's Exodus uh, 13, 33, 18, uh, where, where uh, Moses is in the mountain. And he says to God, show me your glory. And God responds and says, I'm going to make all of my goodness pass before you. The glory of God is the manifest goodness of God. And when he says that you are the glory, the glory that works through you, what is he doing? He says he wants to put his his goodness on display through you is what it means. The Bible says the earth will be filled with the revelation knowledge of the glory of the Lord, just as the waters cover the sea. You're not only the kingdom, but you're the glory that covers the earth. And that glory is put on display when you put his anointing and his authority on display. And you never know whether you've got it until you aim it at an obstacle. Hey, thanks so much for listening today. Quick announcement. We've got the new Ephesians Bible study online that's available now. A dear friend and I, Pastor Don Wallabaugh, we sat down, went verse by verse through the book of Ephesians, recorded 15 30-minute videos. And uh, you can access it anytime. Go at your own pace. And here's the best part of all. It's name your own price. Each video is about 30 minutes long. It's great for personal or small group study. And to access and download the videos, all you have to do is go to BillVanderbush.com. And on the home page, there will be a link to the Ephesians Bible study. If you'd like to write to us, you can write to us at Faith Mountain Ministries, Box 595, Marshall, Minnesota, 56258. This is Bill Vanderbush from all of us here at Faith Mountain Ministries. And until next time, may the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.